and Kay now will come and sing for us. Cleanse me, O Lord. We didn't know everything was going to happen when we chose cleanse me about two months ago. So <laughs> cleanse me and cleanse your hands every day. Make sure everything's all right. I'm sorry. Thank you. 
just say one thing. Um, my husband and I went out last night to see the latest Christian movie, I Still Believe. And there's nobody in the theaters now, so you can go there and feel safe. <laughs> but this is one of the best, very best Christian movies I've ever seen. Two brothers, the Irwin brothers did it. And it's the story of Jeremy Camp, who's a Christian singer, and uh, how he got going into the, in the business and just his testimony of his life. And so encourage people to go to that. I really like to go and support the Christian movies because sometimes you can take somebody who's not a Christian to a Christian movie when they might not come to church with you. So what timing, you know, for this movie to come out because unfortunately people won't be going to the movie to see it, you know, but it will get out there and, and the Lord will definitely be using it as a wonderful tool for his kingdom. Thanks. Thank you for being here today. Helen Gilden said it best. She said, I went to the grocery store yesterday, so I figured I ought to go to church on Sunday. So thank you very much. Today we're going to kind of help keep things into perspective. And what's really interesting to me is, as I look around and see who's here, this is the group that has things in perspective. There's a lot that need to be here that are not. So hopefully they're watching churches all across our country online today. Um, it's just hard for me to cancel church. Uh, we will cancel if the CDC tells us we have to, but other than that, we will be here on Sundays uh, and probably on Wednesdays. But ladies, there's going to be a, a, a lunch. We're going to cancel the lunch this Thursday. Mickey thought that was a good idea, and we'll start the lunch another time. So the ladies' luncheon will not be held Thursday. So I wanted you to know that. Uh, there's a little card in your bulletin about Easter lilies. If you would like to give, we can uh, let you do that and make sure the sanctuary is gorgeous on Easter Sunday. Um, when we take up the offering today, we're going to be real careful. The ushers are going to walk and kind of hand it to you. We're not going to pass the plate, but, you know, we are going to take up an offering. You know that, don't you? <laughs> But we're not going to pass the plate. We'll just, they'll just bring it near you and let you drop it in. So we wanted you to know that. Um, one of the prayer requests, and, and, and we'll just do one before the National Day of Prayer, but Jean Pauls has moved, been moved to hospice. Um, and they think it's probably uh, within the week he'll be in heaven. And that's the bad news and the good news. Bad for us, good for Jean. And so pray for Eleanor and Jean's family. I know that they would appreciate that. He is uh, at hospice in Marietta, uh, Heritage Hospice, I believe the name of it, in Marietta is where Jean is. So please pray for Jean. You know uh, the president has asked for a National Day of Prayer today, which is a great idea. I'm glad to see our country still turning where they ought to turn. Uh, it was interesting. He said he would be watching online uh, Jensen Franklin up in Gainesville today. Uh, and so I don't know if you'll be able to get Jensen Franklin's message later today. Probably so. I know they're streaming it at 9 and at 11, but might be something good to watch later on today. Um, National Day of Prayer. Yes, you're praying about this, and we'll do that here. But I wanted to take a little twist about this, about the people impacted by this. Um, schools are closed now 
at least three weeks. And you think about working parents that don't know what to do with their kids. And we need to pray for those. Jeannie, my wife, is a school teacher, and she teaches English as a second language. Uh, and her parents are, a lot of them are having to work, and then their kids are late. So we need to pray for those families impacted by that. You think about the medical community that uh, are dealing with this, and we need to pray for that. Uh, pray for a power outage so people can't watch the media, and that might be a good thing, maybe the best thing to happen through all of this. Pray that we keep things into perspective and that our faith grows stronger. One of the things that, that we can look at this as is a wonderful opportunity for revival in this world that needs it so much. So that would be the number one prayer for me in the day of prayer. Um, so proud of you being here, and I don't want to single out anyone, but I'm going to. This is my neighbor, Lisa. Hi, everybody. And Lisa, um, she said in 2019 that she went to church more in 2019 than maybe any other year in her life. And it's just neat watching that, and it's just neat seeing all of you here today, but I'm really proud of Lisa because that has become a priority in her life. And it's interesting, in a day when people don't go, she's here and you're here because we need it. How about that? So thank you and bless you and let's pray together. Lord, we'll begin with Jean Pulse. Usually during these moments in our service, we will pray for those on our list and we'll mention several names today, we'll just mention Jean. Thank you for his faith, for his witness for his preparation for the call that he will get likely soon. And so we'll pray thanking you for heaven and for glory and for reward, but we'll also pray asking for strength for his friends and family left behind. And Father, give us that clarity of faith to know that he's with you and that you have a place prepared for us as well. Father, for our country and our world, we pray, in these turbulent times that people would look to you. People are hoarding things and panicking because they don't know what else to do. And it almost appears that we live in a world without much faith. So we pray for seeds that are sown, for faith that will grow, for this national day of prayer that would be more about the virus of sin than coronavirus. And Father, we pray that you would turn hearts towards Lord, thank you for each one here, for the privilege of being in your house today. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You all would stand and worship as we um, sing one more praise of worship for the sermon, please. He brought me in, oh, his love 
Although it's one of the sparsest crowds we have had, it's one of my favorite days. Thank you for being here. Last week, my sermon was entitled, A Christian's Response to the Coronavirus. In a nutshell, I spoke of keeping things in perspective. I told you God was still on his throne. We said that from Scripture, worrying is not something Jesus wants us to do, and praying is the antidote to worry. We talked about opportunities that we are to be light of the world and let God's light shine through us in the darkness. And I ended my sermon with a biblical phrase, and it came to pass, which is spoken of so many times in Scripture, and it came to pass. In the days since last Sunday, panic has become normal. And while I do understand caution, I don't understand panic, and I never will. But today I want to use these moments again that's on our minds as teaching moments to grow in our faith. One of my favorite speakers is Andy Andrews, and you might have heard Andy, seen him online. Uh, I get an email from Andy often, and this was in his last email, and I want you to see what Andy says. Uh, Jeannie, you've been stepped out for a minute, so you might want to check on the sound real quick. There it is. 
Hi, I'm Andy Andrews. I want to take you back to the 4th of March, more than three quarters of a century ago, when America was in the throes of a Great Depression. The stock market had crashed, banks were closed, and unemployment was at 25%. But this wasn't merely a time of economic crisis. People were becoming sick, and many were dying. Influenza was epidemic. Pneumonia was rampant, and the mortalities from tuberculosis were increasing. Franklin Roosevelt had just been elected our nation's 32nd president in a landslide victory over the incumbent, Herbert Hoover. In light of our present situation with the outbreak of the coronavirus, it is a curious perspective with which we can revisit one of Roosevelt's most familiar phrases. The following is a small portion of the new president's inaugural address, given on a cold, rainy Saturday in 1933. This is preeminently the time to speak the truth and the whole truth, frankly and boldly. No need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive, and will prosper. So, first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. It is interesting to note that when Roosevelt delivered this speech, he had been in a wheelchair, a victim of polio, for 12 years. It would be 22 more years before a vaccine would be created for the disease. Still, FDR knew that in times of crisis, fear can be as much an enemy as whatever actually caused the crisis, because fear can stall or completely stop the effort to find a solution. With the coronavirus reality now coming into play, it might be important to remember that we have a history of rising to this type of challenge. Polio hasn't been the only dire puzzle we have solved. During the past century, vaccines for yellow fever, anthrax, and cholera were created. Scientists have engineered vaccines for diphtheria, typhoid, whooping cough, and the Spanish flu. Once enigmas, tuberculosis, encephalitis, and rabies have now been defeated. Chickenpox, mumps, rubella, and measles are no longer a threat to school children, and today, the vaccination for all four viruses has combined into a single dose. Smallpox was estimated to have killed 500 million people in the last 100 years of its existence. However, due to the creation and application of a vaccine, the World Health Organization certified in 1980 that smallpox had been eradicated from the earth. There are vaccinations for hepatitis A and B, meningitis, pneumonia, Hong Kong flu, swine flu, and the rotavirus. COVID-19 is now the number one priority of scientists and researchers all over the world. And today, they're better equipped and more knowledgeable than ever about how to deal with the challenge we face, the coronavirus will be the next to fall. I thought you'd want to see that. You like that?
Andy Andrews. If you have coins in your pocket or currency in your pocket, today you have the words with you, in God we trust. You've got that in your pocket, likely. Do you know when that phrase first appeared on a coin in this country? 1864. You recall from your history lessons what was occurring in 1864 in this country. The Civil War. Or as we in the South like to call, the War of Northern Aggression. 1864. It's interesting that that's when it came. When this country really needed that. And God We Trust wasn't put on dollar bills until 1957. That's when it came to the dollar bill. And God We Trust is a slogan picked up steam in the 50s at the height of anti-communist fervor in America. At the same time, the phrase One Nation Under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance, 1954. Politicians in both parties were eager to make a clear distinction between God-fearing America and the godless Soviet Union. And so that's how it hit your dollar bill in 57. So now in 2020, the question comes, is this God-fearing America and do we trust God? Well, you do. You're here today. And I'm encouraged by that. Bless you. And let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and your truth when we are lied to so often. Thank you that you are there always. And that constant in our lives when so much changes, you are there. So Father, help us in these moments to renew our trust in you and our faith in you. And through dark days to grow. Not just for us, but for our world that needs you so. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 72 years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote these words to deal with the panic over the atomic bomb. And so just replace, I'm going to read it as he wrote it. So just replace atomic bomb with coronavirus, and there's still great truth here. And I quote, in one way, we think a great deal too much on the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when the raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you're already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We'd indeed won very great advantage over our ancestors and aesthetics. But we have that still. It's perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death 
to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. They need not dominate our minds. Our minds can be easily dominated and hijacked if we're not careful and we're God's people. These words for, from Colossians are so true. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. So if you have been raised with Christ, and it's likely all of us in this room have, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things on the earth. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So the question is, and it sounds good, how do you do that? Well, you be careful what you feed your brain and the saturation that you give it with daily doses of too much stuff at times. Satan wants us to constantly focus on everything that's wrong in the world and everything that's wrong around us, and God wants us to use our brain power to see what he wants us to see and what we can accomplish for him. Philippians 4.8 is one of my favorites, and it's advice I've given to people who fretted all over this country. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That'd be a great verse to live by. How much better we would be. And my life, and I've told you this before, has become much better since I quit watching television. I have not seen one news report about this because I don't watch the news. My blood pressure doesn't go crazy. and My life is better. And if it's not bad news, it's fake news, and I just don't want to fill my life with those voices. Over the years, and we talked about this last week, and Andy mentioned several, and you saw a big list, but we've been told that we'd be getting killed by the bird flu and the swine flu and Legionnaire's disease and Y2K, I forgot that one last week, the Russians and anthrax and meteorites, forgot that one, global warming, global cooling, acid rain, forgot that one, killer bees I mentioned, cholesterol, forgot that one, and mad cow disease, DDT and polio. And now we add to the list coronavirus. In 1865, a famous, talking about predictions, the things that were going to get us. A famous 19th century economist named Stanley Jevons predicted that England would run out of coal by 1900 and the nation's factories would come to a stop 120 years ago. In 1939, the U.S. Department of the Interior was just as certain that America's oil supply would run out by 1950. They were wrong. In 1944, the federal government review predicted that long before now, the nation would have run out of 21 commodities, including zinc, tin, nickel, lead, and manganese, and we haven't. 
of the earlier experts were just as certain the world would run out of gold by 1981, mercury and silver by 85, tin by 87, zinc by 1990, petroleum by 1992, another guess that they were wrong about. And natural gas was supposed to peter out in 1993. And thank God it didn't because I have a son-in-law that works and sells natural gas. Gloom and doom is ever-present. And it always will be. And that's the world we live in. And then God says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not worry about anything. And before we continue... How can God say that? Does he know something we don't know? Yes, he does. And because he is God, he can say, do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then I love verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, we need that now, don't we, in Christ Jesus. It's interesting in the original language about the guard. It's a military term about God actually posting a guard in front of our heart and in front of our mind. But we have to make sure that every day we are focused on God and not this world. And so we have to train our brains. And when we're told not to worry but to pray, and you'll get peace. And when you do that, then I'll read verse 8 again to put it into perspective. Finally, beloved, after you've done these things, and only after you've done these things, whatever's true and whatever's honorable and whatever's just and whatever's pure and whatever's pleasing, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And that's good for you. And it must be practiced every day. So what so many are doing today is the exact opposite of these things. They're not praying, they're worrying. They're not having any peace whatsoever and their thoughts are dominated by wrong things. So they would translate this verse as whatever is false, whatever is without honor, whatever is unjust, whatever is sordid, whatever is provoking, whatever is reprehensible. If there's any failure, if, if failure and if there's anything worthy of criticism, think about these things. Does that describe our world? Sadly, yes. I've made a choice not to fill my brain with words or images that are contrary to who I want to be. I'm responsible for my thoughts. I must be careful what I allow in. I must be careful how I process the information that I'm given. And I want to look at Romans 12, the first two verses, in a couple of different translations. The New Revised Version, Standard Version, says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2 is the focus. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's where the battle is. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In the New Living Translation, it puts it this way. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. 
This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's interesting, both of those versions, and you've heard that before likely, talk about make your body a living sacrifice. The problem with the living sacrifice is it moves. We can decide to get up off the altar and say, God, I've heard what you said, but I'm not going there. I'm going to go over here because do you know what's happening down here? That's what living sacrifices can do. And so every moment of your breathing and living, you've got to make that decision that I'm going to renew my mind and let God transform me into a new person by changing the way that I think. We have to make that decision every day. One of my favorite phrases from Zig Ziglar, he used to say, stinking thinking leads to lousy living. And isn't that the truth? Stinking thinking leads to lousy living. So quickly to help you train your brain, what does the Bible say about trust? Psalms chapter 9 verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. That's what you've done today. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Isn't that the truth? Psalms 37, 5. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Psalms 44. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. That our society is doing right now, turning aside to lies. Psalms 56.3, the very first verse, my wife taught our son when he was a toddler and he could barely speak. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Isaiah gives us this promise in chapter 26. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord is God is the eternal rock. Jesus said in John 14, 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. Later on in verse 27 of the same chapter, speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I think the words from this great hymn say it so very well. You know the words is turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's sing that together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you would stand, we're going to do a benediction today from Philippians 4. May the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless.